Hello, it's Cam. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Today I am joined by my friend Jay, who is very special because Jay is the first friend that I've made since moving to Cairns, and the leader, I'd say, of the most beautiful yoga studio and just a cultivator of community and just a beautiful, beautiful person. So thank you for being here. I really am so grateful that I've met you. Your presence and friendship has been a uh, a profound bonus of moving to this place. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. We've already had a couple chats and Every time we talk, you know, I'm just blown away by the wisdom that comes up between us and the connection. And uh, as much as I'm honored to be presented as a leader, I feel like, you know, it's talking to people like yourself, like my students, that teaches me the most, you know. Um, I guess this sounds cliche, but, you know, as a yoga teacher, I get to be a yoga student. I get to constantly learn more and more about the practice about conscious connections so it's really nice to be able to talk to you here thank you i have already just learned so much in your presence and what i enjoyed really deeply about your class is the the wisdom that you express it comes from a place of real curiosity and real self-exploration and just realness in general because you have come to class and and you've mentioned I've been scattered today mm. and it adds a an element of of resonance that really feels like you're you're speaking to somebody at eye level at uh, at a foundational level that says yo I hear you and it's it's really special in a teacher to have that because our ability to resonate and connect it's mediated by, you know, first our receptivity to those words and to that person, but also just the place that that information comes from, from the speaker. It's a real gift. Yeah, I guess I've always resonated with people sharing their stories. So I'm a huge reader and I really love autobiographies because you don't just see the end product. You know, we see all these great people, all these great teachers, and we think of them as some unattainable, gifted, or lucky soul. And then you read their story and you realize they're human, they're real, they had their challenges, their struggles, and it's through those struggles, through those challenges, and through those, you know, introspections that they grew to be who they were. You know, something that, somebody that really inspires me was Bob Marley. And uh, there's this song, um, a lyric that really spoke to me. He said, even the greatest person you ever did see was once just a baby. And I think that really taught me to look at people differently, not to see just their greatness, but to really see the struggles that they've overcome. And I feel like that's how I try to relate to people around me, is not to treat them for their accomplishments, even though you should be celebrated for your accomplishments, but more so, you should be celebrated for the struggles and tribulations that you've been able to overcome in your life. And I feel like that's the value in people and where you really get the most life lessons. You know, you, you, you see the, the confident people and 
you admire them and you go, wow, they're so confident. And there's this kind of assumption in the back of your mind that they were always like that. Yeah. That they were born with something that you were not born with. Yeah. But you don't see them speaking to themselves in the mirror. You don't see them amping themselves up and moving through that doubt. You don't see all of the insecurity. You just see that moment of clarity. You see what they share, but not what led to that sharing. Yeah. You don't see, you know, the part where Oprah got fired or, you know, the actors that were starving and, you know, running from the debt collectors before they got their big breakout role. You don't see, you know, the musicians who everybody was telling them to get a real job before they broke out into the world. And we celebrate them for that. But before we celebrate them, we often reject them. And so often we're rejecting ourselves because we think there's no way I could be like any of them. There's no way I have this thing inside of me that makes me special. And the funny thing is overcoming that is what exactly makes you special as a human, no matter if you achieve quote unquote society greatness or not. We all have that human spirit to overcome our challenges, our struggles, even if it doesn't materially look like it. That's part of being human is that we grow through our pain, our sorrows, our struggles, it deepens our connections. And something you mentioned to me before the podcast started was uh, your mess is your message. Yeah, I tell all my yoga teachers uh, in our yoga teacher training to make your mess your message because it's more authentic, it's more relatable, and honestly, it translates better, right? Nobody wants to just hear your triumph. Like, there's a reason that Spider-Man and Batman are a little bit more popular than Superman, right? And there's a reason that the best stories always have the biggest struggles and the biggest challenges to overcome, right? You don't go to the movie theater to watch a boxing movie where it's a one-punch knockout. Nobody would want to go pay to see that. You want to see the hero struggle and have to overcome something because it speaks to something true inside of our lives that life isn't easy and maybe it's not supposed to be. Mm. And speaking of that, that struggle, that process, where did you come from? Okay. Like, how did you get here? Oh, that's a story. Um, so I come from inland California. So I was born in San Bernardino. Um, but basically, I was brought up in a place called Ontario, nicknamed Ontarable, um, which was like a big industrial center of California. And I always tell everyone living here, because you got no reference being here, but I, would, I wasn't able to see the stars growing up. It's so smoggy, there's so much pollution, so much industry, that literally you just never see the sky at night. It's just always this like haze, except if it's really windy. Once in a while you'd see the stars, you'd see the snow in the mountains, and it was so beautiful. But yeah, I felt a lack of connection, one from nature, but two from humanity. You know, I was adopted. So I grew up in an adoption home and was really fighting against everybody around me. I was either fighting or I was hiding. And so when I came into the world, it wasn't from a place of love or trust, but really it was kind of like this animalistic side of myself where I really struggled to connect for a lot of my life. And it wasn't until I came to yoga that I started deepening the connection to myself that I started kind of tuning into that connection to everybody else. But yeah, I guess um, growing up, I was adopted by a nice family that didn't necessarily understand 
my trauma. And so it was kind of just never spoken about, kind of covered up. And I just tried to put on this mask. And I feel like if you're adopted or displaced, that's what you often do. You put on this mask and try to put on the same face that everybody else is wearing. And so that got me by and being in a very conservative conservative Christian church, you know, you're kind of told conform, 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 believe this or you're going to hell, you know, those sorts of things. So it kind of made me repress myself and I went into a pretty big depression um, in my early teens. And through that depression, through that depth of darkness, there was a sparklet that made me realize I wanted more from my life. And so one of my biggest inspirations growing up was Steve Irwin. You know, I was always watching him on TV. He was my portal out of my existence. I'd see him in nature, playing around with these snakes, talking about how beautiful crocodiles are. But most of all, I saw his passion. I saw how alive this guy was. And I was from age seven. I always told everyone, I'm going to move to Australia. I'm going to live a passionate life. And uh, everyone just kind of laughed and wrote it off. But here I am in Australia, you know, years later, and I couldn't be more happy living a passionate life. But it took some struggle, you know, it took a lot of growing and uh, trials and tribulations as anybody does. So I guess a short story quick is, you know, I came from a place that was very cut off from humanity, from spirituality, from love. And I had to go on a journey to discover it. And that that journey, because we we spoke briefly about you know how you actually ended up in Cairns, and it's a wild ride. Yeah. Can you can you tell me about that? Of course. So if we rewind, um, basically back to my teenage years, around like sixteen, seventeen, is where I had the first of what I called the calls, where I had this intuition that an opportunity was coming my way that I needed to break out. Otherwise, I would never change. I'd never get what I wanted in life. And so the first opportunity came when I decided that I wasn't happy at my Christian school anymore. It's not like it was a bad school. I had some really kind teachers and some really genuine friends, but I just knew like this wasn't where I was supposed to be. I wasn't living the way I wanted to live. So the first breakout was a bit of independence when I was like, I don't want to go to school anymore. So I begged my parents. I was like, hey, listen, let me go to this new school that had just opened up. And so I went out of this Christian school of like, I think the max was 2,000 people to this public school that was like 16,000 people. And to be honest, I went from a very white school to a different demographic where I was the only white kid in class. And so it blew my mind, but that was exactly what I was looking for. I went from such a harsh, critical school, and honestly, to a school that didn't care. You know, you could have your headphones in class the whole time. Um, The students didn't care. It was kind of just a reckless place where it was where I had to prove myself. You know, I was put in an environment that I'd never been in before. And once again, I wasn't happy. I was kind of miserable, even though I'd found this freedom from constriction, I had no guidance and I had no purpose and I felt it. So it was only six months in that school before once again, I just felt miserable. So luckily I had a stepbrother, a step half brother. um, So from my adopted dad's divorce side of the family who was living in uh, Dana Point. And so I started connecting with him 
And um, basically, I would drive up every weekend to go to the beach. And I loved the beach. I always wanted to surf growing up. And that's where I really found this deep peace in me was whenever I was by the ocean. And so when I turned 18, I basically was at this breaking point where I was getting into fights with my family. I wasn't succeeding in school. And I was like, something needs to change. So I had a real chat with my brother and moved out at 18 with the agreement that I would get a job, I'd support myself, and that, you know, I was going to take responsibility for my life, which I did. And so going to the beach, I started surfing every day. I started skimboarding. I got my first job at Starbucks, which is when I really started having to connect to people. And um, it kind of evolved me in my personality to where, you know, I was on my own, but I was happy. I was doing whatever I wanted. I was hiking. I was driving out to national parks. I was making new friends. And I really got to reinvent myself. So I even changed my name. I was born Justin, but I grew up with seven Justins in my school. So uh, I became Jay when I moved out into Dana Point, into the beach. And when I became Jay, I became happy. Everybody from that time in my life was like, Jay, you're always smiling. But if you had known me even a year before, I was never smiling. I was never very outgoing. I was very introverted, but still I was struggling. I was struggling for a deeper connection and I didn't know where to find it. I was going to the ocean. I was talking to people at Starbucks, but I didn't feel meaningful connections until by happenstance, I found yoga and I went to my first yoga class because uh, I knew it was good for yoga, uh, for surfing. So that first class, it felt good, but what blew my mind is what people were talking about. You know, they were bringing in the spirituality that I had never experienced before. So I quickly got addicted and started going as much as I could. And after like a month of doing yoga, I went on the snowboarding trip. And the whole time, all I could think of was like, wow, I can't believe I miss yoga this much. So I went back, signed up for a membership, and I still remember the teacher was like, Jay, you seem to love yoga a lot. And I was like, I do. I'm like, why don't you do teacher training? And I was like, okay, is this how you learn yoga? I had no idea that teacher training would make me a teacher. I mean, it sounds funny saying it, but I was like, oh, this is my chance to really learn more about this stuff. And I did, you know, I was working three jobs, going every weekend to teacher training, and it just opened me up mentally, spiritually, in every direction. It really brought me into this deeper connection to myself and into my truth. And so I started teaching yoga basically full time very soon after the teacher training, which once again shifted my whole life. But once again, I started feeling this lack of connection, this lack of meaning. Yeah, I was teaching yoga, but I didn't feel like the people I was teaching to were the people I was meant to teach. I always wanted to live in a place that, I guess, had a deeper connection. And so uh, if you've ever been to Orange County, you know that there's a bit of the superficial air, right? Everybody's got this mask on of like, I'm confident, I'm cool, I'm going places. There's not really much real talk. Not that there aren't some people there that I really connected to genuinely, but I just felt like it wasn't my place I was meant to be. And that's when I got the second call. So basically, I just got back from traveling with my brother through Europe, and I didn't want to stop traveling. And I knew that it was time to take the next step in my life. 
So I put out a Facebook post and was like, hey, I want to go teach yoga in Australia. And once again, just by universal happenstance, somebody I'd met through somebody else was like, hey, I've got a studio in Cairns. Why don't you come teach yoga here? Had no idea where Cairns was. I was just knew it was in Australia. And I was like, okay. So I sold everything I had, said goodbye to my friends, some of my best friends, which was heartbreaking. But everything in my soul was saying, yes, 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 this is your opportunity. So I jumped on a plane, came over to Cairns, and uh, I spent about a month teaching, and I ran out of money. And everything started going wrong. And uh, the studio, you know, initially had offered me all these classes, and then they only had me on two classes. And I did the math, and I was like, how am I going to keep surviving like this? So I gave them an ultimatum, and I was like, hey, listen, either I need more classes or I need to go somewhere else. You know, I'm not just going to sit here and run out of money. So like, we're not going to give you more classes. So I hopped on this random ride chair with a total group of strangers and I crossed Australia. And so I went through the outback, got to stay at Uluru, uh, sleeping in a target tent, sleeping on my clothes, eating rice and bananas. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. But once again, you know, I was surrounded by people that weren't on my vibration, you know. Um, so we got to Broome and I kind of left the group just because I was not having a good time with them. And I remember once again thinking, what have I done? Who am I? Where am I? I have no money. I have no job. I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this. And so I remember going out to a beach at Broome at sunset, the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. And I literally got on my knees and I put my arms up and I was like, okay, universe, you know what? I'm humbled. I surrender. Take me where you need me to go. Um, and it was just this brilliant red ruby sunset. And so basically I'd met this girl, uh, Kylie, who's now my partner. And um, she was like, hey, you know, where are you going next? Let's hang out for a little bit. So I flew down to uh, Perth and met her in Perth. And once again, just went with the flow. We just asked somebody in a coffee shop, like, hey, what should we do in Perth? He's like, why don't you go to Margaret River? So we went on the most magical two-week road trip through Margaret River, um, where we started dating. And then she went back to Cairns, and I was still looking for work. So I went to Melbourne. Total culture shock. I'd been camping in the outback for like a month. And uh, I took a job as one of those people that tries to hook you into uh, signing up for the donations to uh, Doctors Without Borders at the grocery stores. And so I put on shoes, I put on a collar the first time in years, and I did one day of trying to hook people into giving me the credit card details to sign up for this thing. And it was just horrible. And I remember sitting in my tent that night thinking, what are you doing, Jay? This isn't who you are. You don't wear shoes. You don't wear <laughs> collars. And you definitely don't believe in asking people for money at a grocery store. So... I basically packed up my tent in the middle of the night, walked for like four hours through the bush to the train station, called Kylie, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just so lost. I can't stay in Melbourne anymore. And so uh, she booked me a ticket to come up to Cairns. I almost missed the train, got on the train, got on the plane, got back to Cairns, and um, once again was living in a tent, and it was a really windy night broke the tent, I had no more tent, I had nothing left. And uh, my partner Kylie at that time had just gone through a divorce. 
And so she was kind of at this breaking point too. And we wanted to be together. So she's like, hey, why don't we go down to Brisbane and uh, we can stay with my mom and we can figure things out. So I went down to Brisbane and um, applied to teach for yoga. And I got uh, to teach at like six different studios. So I went from not, not teaching for months to teaching like nearly 30 classes a week. It was insane how many classes I was teaching. I would eat, sleep, and teach yoga. And um, I started saving a bunch of money and basically getting this confidence in yoga and teaching yoga, building my classes up really big. That I was like, hey, I think I could start my own studio. It had always been something on the edge of my mind, but something that you know I just wasn't sure about yet. But we were basically at this point where we were about to uh, book world travel tickets. And uh, right before we booked the tickets, we found out Kylie was pregnant. And so we were like, oh, you can't go around the world if you're going to have a baby. Didn't want to stay in Brisbane, the big city. So we're like, where do we do? What do we do? Where do we go? And I just had this intuition. I was like, Cans needs more yoga. Nobody's ever taking classes like what I teach. So we went back up to Cans once again, dropped everything. Ended up living in a tent again. Kylie's full pregnant. We're living in Port Douglas in a tent, super hot through summer. And once again, I thought I knew uh, we were going to start this park yoga class. And um, months went by. The council wouldn't get back to us. It was raining. It was hot. And my idea just burst. I was like, there's no way we're going to start a park yoga class in Port Douglas. It's too hot. It's too rainy. And the council's not working with us. And so once again, we're running out of money, you know, time's ticking, baby's coming soon. And so I was like, okay, maybe the universe doesn't want me to do this. I'll just reach out to a studio to see if I could teach a class. So I reach out to this place and like, hey, we're about to close down. Would you want to buy the studio? And so I was like, I'm trying to start a studio. So yeah, let me see what I can do. So I came up with the cash to start the studio, sent in the application and I got a phone call from the landlord saying, no, no way. You don't have any business experience. You guys barely have any money. There's no way you're going to get this. So, sorry. Got off the phone, super bummed out. And 30 seconds later, I got an email saying we were approved. So, I felt like it was divine intervention. So, I got the studio, came up with the idea, Wild Heart Yoga Tribe. And um, basically, the rest is history. The stars just aligned every step of the way, guiding us into the studio and so the studio really is a representation of trying to create this community where you're able to experience that growth in a safe place. That is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. And the I'm curious, when you had these, um, these low points of which there, there seemed to be many points where you were just being tested and tested and moments where you could have just thrown your hands up and gone okay well it's not happening it's not working but there's that element of belief and faith and stubbornness but stubbornness that surrenders 100 percent. and that's you know it was something inside of me that knew that if i surrendered i'd make it through but if i fought i'd get stuck and i'd get stuck in a place that i didn't want to be stuck in and this is before I really got into reading biographies this is before I really got into the the mindfulness of how this energy works this was all 
basic intuition inside of me. You know, even before the journey happened, you know, there were signs in my life that I needed to shift. You know, I'd basically gotten broken up with, crashed my car, gotten a staph infection. So there was a lot of tribulations and struggles, but I kept taking them as like arrows. Like, okay, you're not in the right place in your life. You gotta keep moving. You gotta keep seeking where it is that's calling you. And I really felt like I was called to Cairns and called to start Wild Heart Yoga Tribe. And even those first few years were really hard. You know, I'd never run a business before. Um, I'd never run a yoga studio before. And so once again, I had to constantly keep surrendering. And there were months where, you know, only by the grace of the universe, people were cooking us meals. We got government checks for having our daughter Savannah. You know, like it seemed every step of the way, I was supported when I surrendered and I had to surrender when I got to the point where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but yeah, I guess I had faith that it was going to turn out. And what have been some of those, you know, the greatest challenges about running this business and starting this community? Yeah. Balancing business and spirituality is a very, very difficult thing to do because, you know, at the bottom line, you got to pay rent and you got to be able to make some profit to live a modern life. At the same time, you're trying to create a spiritual experience for people. You're trying to create a sanctuary for everyone. So of course, you don't want money to be a barrier for people experiencing yoga. And of course, you want yoga to be this thing that encourages people to live the right way, which doesn't necessarily align with society's values. So constantly, you know, balancing, okay, I've got to check these boxes in society to keep this place open. But also I'm trying to confront society's ways that are making us miserable and keeping us stuck. And so that's a, it's still a balance I'm working on, a balance I'm getting better, but you know what? through business, I've actually become more spiritual because I find that faith, belief, perseverance, all these things that come up in spirituality, they're just as important in business. And so I felt like even the business has really evolved who I've become. That that blend there, that kind of a clash between spirituality, something that transcends these structures and these programmings, but still needing to operate within them. Like, you know, people say, oh, you know, society's so messed up, capitalism is so messed up, but that's not something that you can allow to be a governing factor. Exactly. Like we have to, if there is a game, I'm going to play it, and I'm going to play it as well as I can so that I don't have to play it. Got to know the rules before you can break the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's so true in so many fields is like, how can you reach people from an unrealistic place? You know, it's like if I'm off in a cave meditating every day, how am I spreading the awareness of yoga and of love and connection, of moving through our modern stresses and anxieties if I'm not within it? So once again, make your mess your message. Everybody's got to pay taxes. You know, everybody's having a hard time deciding between putting food on the shelves and trying to save up for a life of financial freedom. And part of that is the spiritual lesson of, yeah, there's no meditating your way 
out of these day-to-day necessities, but we can let go of the stress, anxiety, and we can try to find the deeper meaning behind these mundane, everyday things. So what would you say to someone that might be listening to this episode that is um, on the path, on a spiritual journey, that journey of growth, but is experiencing that survival stress in, in a big way? And what would you say to that person whose survival stress is really constricting or restricting their view of what is possible? I've been there. I still go there sometimes. Um, You're not alone. And this is what strengthens you. This is when you're lifting weights at the gym, makes your muscles stronger. When you're studying for a test, it makes you smarter. You know, this is the path. People think, oh, the path to enlightenment is so fun and easy and you just sit on this fluffy cloud. No, it's, it's moving through the struggles and trying to find your dharma, your sacred purpose, and staying focused on that purpose no matter how off track life gets you. You have to try to steer your way mindfully with the right thoughts, with the right actions, with belief, and with persistence. And I think that's the biggest thing that you can read about, hear about in any of the people that inspire you is that they knew they could do it. They cultivated this persistence that they were going to achieve what they set out to achieve. And some people never lived to see those achievements brought to life, but they never gave up. And that's what we got to do too. We got to be resilient that what we're working for is worth the blood, sweat, and tears. That process is one that is kind of inherently tied to doubt as well. Like that, the the confidence and the trust in that process, it's, you know, by placing your trust in this process and the faith in this process, the the evidence ends up accumulating by through that commitment and through that persistence. But at first, it's like you have to go into it with this kind of blind faith and stubborn persistence. And you mentioned Dharma, which from from my uh, limited perspective on it is like that that inner essence, that inner truth, that inner purpose. And I'm curious to know, have you found that Dharma? Can you like conceptualize it? Can you hold that? Yeah, actually, funny story. I was in Ireland and we went to this place called the Witch's Steps. And so the custom is that you're supposed to walk down backwards, down this like stairwell in a cave with your eyes closed. And you're supposed to basically focus on what you want to appear in your life. So it's almost like a genie granting a wish. And I clearly remember asking the universe, the stairwell, I was like, I want to be able to facilitate a way for people not to feel lonely the way I felt lonely when I was young, when I was growing up. I wanted to facilitate connection. And this was before I got into yoga or any of that. And I just wanted to help people feel not alone. And so that became my dharma and still my guiding dharma with my yoga classes and with my life to a certain extent is that when I connect to people, I want them to feel seen, heard, and loved no matter where they're from, no matter how much money they have or privilege they have or 
how opinionated they are. I want people to feel like they have value in this world because there's nothing worse than feeling alone. And we've all felt alone at some point. And it isolates you. It's the opposite of spirituality, right? It's the opposite of connection is when you feel like nobody cares and you're all alone in the world. And I think I experienced that so much growing up that it nearly killed me. It wasn't until I was reborn as Jay and decided to choose my happiness that I really realized the power of connection. And I had to find it on my own, and that was really hard. And so I was really inspired to create a space that hopefully encourages people to cultivate deeper connection and reminds them that it's okay to be human. It's okay to have these struggles, but you're not alone in it. You're not alone. But in order to actually realize that, fully understand that, you need to participate, right? Like you need to take that affirmative action. Like if you, uh, you know, there's that feeling where if you're feeling kind of grumpy or you're feeling kind of lonely, there's a part of you that wants to sit in that and, and almost like justify it. And the mind then kind of adds to that evidence of like, yeah, you are alone. Like none of your friends are talking to you right now. Um, you don't know what you're doing and it's easy to let that be this governing factor that is determining determining your life but you can also take it to the other side all right if I feel alone what what would I do how do I contribute to the conditions that make me feel connected that make me feel not alone and it's that willingness to put yourself out there and take initiative if I feel alone I'm gonna go and make a friend yeah. I have to do that I have to actively create that connection and create that community and that can be a really scary thing for people. It's terrifying. I still remember this time I reached out to uh, one of these professional skimboarders that was like ranked number one. I literally messaged him and was like, hey man, do you want to be friends? And I got no reply. And I just felt like so awkward and so bad. I'm like, oh, come on, Jay. How silly of you asking this guy to be your friend. Um, but I kept an open heart, and I I did make some really genuine friends by reaching out. And the funny thing is, you got to be alone. Nobody's going to live your life for you. Nobody's going to make those life-changing shifts for you. You got to do it for yourself. So you got to be self-aware, and you got to almost strike it as a lone wolf. But through that suffering, through that aloneness, that's how we relate to people because everybody has this inner self that is alone, right? That is separate from the rest of creation, even though if we're all connected, it's that uh, in yoga, we call it prakriti. So there's purusha and prakriti. Purusha is the oneness of everything. Prakriti is the illusion of separateness. Through that illusion of separateness, we can see the connection of everything. It's when I reach into myself and my experience and my suffering, I can reach out to you and see that you've had an experience of suffering, of loneliness, of challenges, even if they're not the same experiences I had. When I reach out to that in you, we find the deepest connection. Because if I just walk around and I'm like, oh, Cam, I'm perfect. I lived the perfect life. You know, I just moved to Australia and, you know, I was born privileged. You know, I'm, I'm white, I'm male, I was in California. You know, all my dreams came true. I'm not relatable. You know, and I wouldn't be connecting to people because I'm cutting out 99% of the world. 
But when I talk about, hey, I felt alone. I felt challenged. I was desperate. I've been hungry. I've not had a home before. So many people around the world relate to that. And I can relate to them even if I was born privileged. You know, it opens us up our suffering, our pains, our tribulations, that there is a deeper connection. And I read this in a book with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu, two people that suffered more than so many, right? The Dalai Lama was exiled from his country, saw so many of his people killed. Desmond Tutu saw apartheid. And yet they wrote a book on joy, talking about how their experiences of suffering helped them deepen their faith and belief in humanity because they've seen the goodness come out of it. And that's spirituality for you. We take our mess and we find this deeper message. And you find that, that dharma, which is that, that why, something that underscores your efforts so that there is meaning to what you do. Because, you know, that meaning, its, it's absence is painful to not have that sense of purpose, that sense of something when you wake up. To feel as if you're just kind of sleepwalking through life, going through the motions without any real essence for why you're doing that. But also, you can't escape the need to go through those motions, the need to participate in society. There's all of these, there are requirements on being alive. There yeah. are there are costs to the situation. And, you know, people say, you know, it's so messed up that humans are the only species that has to work to live on earth but we're also the only ones that make art and mm. music and medicine and we turn misery into poetry and chaos into creativity we fly planes into the stratosphere and submarines into the ocean and yeah. we get to look at the stars and see ourselves reflected back at us so if i gotta go to sleep early tonight so i can wake up for work tomorrow i will do that and yeah i will willingly do that because i whatever the costs are of being alive, I will continue to pay those because it's, it's worth it. There's meaning. Yeah. And you know, the magical thing about humans is we're the only creatures we know of that convert our beliefs and manifest them into reality. I mean, look at everything around us. That was a belief. That wasn't reality, like walls, electricity, lights, going to outer space. That wasn't part of physical reality before, but somebody believed it so much that they found a way to create it. I feel like that's the magical thing about humans is we have this knowledge that deep inside of us is this power to create. And so I think a lot of us get conditioned that to live a meaningful life means we have to have a big name or some material success or heaps of followers. But even the smallest thing can be meaningful you know saving a bug from getting squashed or giving a dollar to somebody who's down and out holding space for somebody that's hurt you know just having eye contact and smiling at a stranger these are meaningful and this will deepen your connection far more than becoming the richest person on the planet or you know joining politics and challenging another side condemning them you know, there is a time and place for everything, but to live a meaningful life means that you're living in your truth and your truth doesn't have to be anyone else's truth, right? For me, 
I don't have to be the biggest Instagram yogi in the world to feel like my message is meaningful. As long as I'm having a genuine conversation with you or any one of my students, I feel like I'm having a meaningful impact because we're deepening consciousness. And so once again, it's that surrendering of, yes, I want to live a meaningful life, but I'm going to let that meaningful life manifest in the way that it's supposed to be. So in a certain way, I have to release my attachment to what I'm creating while still staying focused on what I want to create. And that that balance right there to take responsibility and to take that active role in creation whilst also having that surrender in place and the relinquishing of control. Mm -hmm. So where's that, that difference between control versus like commitment and devotion because you are devoted to what you do and it's just it's so clear that anybody that is in your company they they feel that they download it but that that element of surrender finding that point and and knowing when to let go knowing when to just allow things to unfold because there's this part of us that that thinks that by controlling things we can control the outcome but often we are just we through that process of trying to gain power we we lose it and there's that strange paradox of letting go of the need to control you find that it is already playing out it's a huge paradox because you know when i was in uh broom i surrendered completely i went to melbourne and i got a random job i hated and i decided right then and there i made a firm decision i was like i'm a yoga teacher I don't wear shoes, I don't wear a collar, I'm not gonna try and convince these people at a grocery store to give me their credit card details. I wanna share yoga, I wanna share something meaningful with the people around me. And so it was both first a surrendering and then an acknowledgement that I've gotta make this happen. And it was the combination I feel like that really led me forward. Kinda like before when I was like, I'm miserable, I don't want to live this life. I've got to change something. And I left everybody I knew at that school and went into a new environment. Things didn't get easier, but I was evolving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing you got to recognize is when you're being challenged, you're growing. But so many of us want to stay in our comfort zone and your comfort zone is where you get stuck. You know, you get a job that pays just enough to pay your bills and then you're afraid to lose that comfort you're afraid to take that risk. Whereas when you've lost it all, when you're down on your knees in a random part of the world you've never been before, you don't know anyone and you have no way out, that's a deeply liberating feeling because you realize what else could happen. And obviously worse things could happen, but at a certain point you get into this psyche of like, it's only up from here. So I've got to believe in myself because I've lost everything else except for myself. Now I got to work for it. And um, I feel like that's what liberated me to sharing this message. And it's easy to hear my story and think, oh, wow, you know, he's exceptional, but I'm not exceptional. I'm just an average person. You know, I'm still paying my bills and trying to figure out different things in my own personal life. But the thing is, we all have a story worth sharing And the best stories are the ones that are full of struggles and tribulations and overcoming that. And that, that, that overcoming though, it's, it's, it's 
I mean, you could look at it as like conquering, but it's also that that surrendering allows that struggle to become this uh, this fuel. Mm. Like, okay, what else have you got? Like, yeah. you're on, you're literally on your knees, surrendering, saying, okay, okay, let's see, show me anything, anything. I am willing. I am surrendering. Let let me be of service, and yeah. you, to be of service is to really facilitate that connection not only to others but to yourself because in that process of teaching and 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 guiding you are confronted with all of the same questions when it comes to you yeah. in order to actually be at the front of that class and to share this message it's you're not repeating words that you've read you're not just regurgitating something it comes from this inner essence this inner truth and so i question is i know that there are people listening to this that don't feel connected to the people around them particularly when they go through some kind of awakening and evolution and shift and change and it can feel really distancing from the people around you especially if they do not uphold the same beliefs if they're you know more cemented in this material reality this this matrix of people and places and things and getting the better job so they can get the better car so they can drive to work and sit in traffic and go home to a house that they only get to sleep in and it can feel really isolating to if not be aware of this greater essence of life but at least have a hint to it because you you had these questions but you turned those questions into actions Mm. consistently and repeatedly and through that you created this life and you created this community but there's that element of action it was not a passive process because surrender isn't necessarily passive it can it can be an active thing it's an active decision to let go but it also is balanced out by that affirmative action those continual steps forward even if you don't know where you're going yeah and you know sometimes you have to surrender to the hard work you know, like as much as we talk about fighting through uh, like a workout, there's days I don't want to go. You know, I don't want to put in the effort and I've got to surrender to the work. You know, I got to get past myself and be like, I know the outcome's going to be better if I do this than if I don't. And so it's this willful surrendering of like, I'm going to let myself have this challenging experience because I know it's going to be better for me then if I don't, and once again, it goes back to the comfort zone of, man, it's so easy to willingly put yourself into the victim mentality, into a comfort zone where you get stuck and trapped and feel like life is just happening to you and you've got no power. It's a deeply liberating but confronting thing to say that life is happening for me, that these challenges are all opportunities for me to climb the ladder but it's going to take everything I got and I got to surrender that this is the only way I'm going up. Right? Uh, another quote I just love, I wish I could remember who said it, but they said, uh, the elevator goes down, but only the stairs will take you up. And that's so true with surrendering. I'm surrendering that I'm going to take the stairs and not the elevator, even though the elevator would be far more comfortable. It's not going to get me where I want to go. And so you got to recognize that in yourself. There was another uh, business book I read where there was this lady in the financial institution, an investor, and she really wanted to be a writer. And so 
eventually the time came, I believe this was in the secret, uh, she was like, I'm gonna write to everybody I know and tell them basically, I'm gonna become a writer and get their feedback and see what they say. And she wrote to all these people that are multimillionaires working these top of the end jobs, jobs that so many would covet. And they all wrote her back and were like, man, you're so brave, I wish I could do that. They all felt so stuck in their job afraid of losing what they had gained that they weren't doing the job because it satisfied them. They were doing it because it kept them satisfied, I guess. Uh, Which is funny is there's two different types of satisfaction. There's the satisfaction where you're complacent and there's the satisfaction where you're enriched. And I feel like there's a hard thing to recognize in yourself of am I satisfied with my life or am I just satisfied with my life? Oh, it's so true. Like, is that satisfaction coming from having uh, achieved this level of societal standard, this external validation? Like, all right, you tick the boxes. You got the house, the car, the family, the job. Um, On paper, everything looks like a well-organized, well-structured life. But what's on paper doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day if that mind is untamed, if there are questions that haven't been asked, haven't been acted on, you have this never-ending series of what-ifs. Mm. What if I had done that? What if I had followed my passion there? What if I had acted on my curiosity? What if I had asked that person the question that was on my mind? Yeah. Because you can't assume anything. No. Life gives you what you ask for. You know, um, read this in Think and Grow Rich, it said, I asked life for a penny, and life paid me a penny, and I worked so hard and struggled only to find that life would have gladly paid me whatever I asked. And, you know, I think back to this interview with Bob Marley, where they were like, are you a rich man? And he sits back and thinks about it for a second, and he's like, what do you mean by rich? And they're like, you have a lot of material possessions, and he's like, material possessions make you rich? No, I don't have that kind of richness. My richness is life. And I feel like that really influenced me. You know, Bob Marley and Steve Irwin were two of my greatest heroes. And both of them both spoke about money as not the goal, but the fuel for what they were actually trying to do. One was conservation. The other was basically revolution. And that really spoke to my soul. And I feel like, you know, my whole life growing up, I kind of had an outsider's point of view. You know, being adopted, I didn't really have this pressure to be like my parents or necessarily this heritage to I had to live up to. So I was always kind of like looking from the outside. And I saw everybody being pressured to go to college, get the job, get married, retire, go to a retirement home. And I kept thinking like, oh, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I want. I want to live a different kind of life. I want to live life like these people I'm seeing. And the older I got, the more I realized that's okay. This is what's going to make me unique and different. And I see so many people that are miserable who followed that boxed life, that tick off the boxes and you're going to have the dream, right? Is that the dream though? You have the possessions. You had the experiences that everybody else had. We're all going to die. And I'd rather have a unique story rather than the sequence of events that everybody else did. And I can't blame people for wanting that sequence of events because 
it's comfortable, it's secure, you know how the ending's gonna turn out. But if you write your own story, it's a lot more fun. It's scary, but it's exciting, and that makes you feel alive. That's vitality for you. When you take ownership and you say, I'm gonna write my own story. Mm-hmm. That is so empowering. And especially when you realize that every story we've ever listened to, every story that has really resonated and connected with us, it's not because the the that character just coasted through. I've never read a book where I open the page and it just says, yeah, everything was fine. The end. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> it's like 500 pages of just trauma and struggle and and yeah. turmoil and resilience and discovery because you discover yourself you meet yourself as that story unfolds as you keep going beyond where you thought you could before you simply don't know what you're capable of you don't know what life has in store for you until you ask that question and i love that that quote about life will pay you what you ask it like Mm -hmm. people are conditioned to be reasonable and um and realistic with what they ask but they were told to be realistic by people that settled Mm. people that didn't ask those questions people that allowed their scope and definition of reality to be given to them 100 an element of conformity and you before we started this podcast you mentioned the story about that man that invented the radio yeah marconi so um, this was an inspirational story I shared for my uh, class this week. We're talking about spirituality and the crown chakra. And um, so basically this man named Marconi, it's his last name. I can't really pronounce his first name. So that's on you guys to research his first name. Um, he had this idea that he wanted to send sound waves without using any wires or tubes. And so he went up to his friends and he was like, hey guys, I've got this idea that I want to send sound waves without using any wires or tubes. And they thought he was crazy, so crazy that they put him in a mental institution for a couple weeks. And Marconi went on to create the first radio and revolutionized the world, changed the world, the way we communicate, because he not only had belief in his idea, but he had enough faith to manifest it. And so we were kind of talking about that we don't really often realize that there's a difference between faith and belief. You know, faith is having this idea that's beyond comprehension, right? Like, I believe, uh, I have faith that there's a heaven. There's no confirmation that there's heaven. But belief is confirming your faith, right? Is confirming that you can manifest heaven in your mind, right? That you can find redemption in reaching out to people through love. And so it's kind of like the soul and spirit. There's a separation, right? The spirit craves freedom and the soul craves grounding. They move in opposite directions, but when you combine them, they have the most wonderful unity, profound consciousness shifts. And I feel like that's what so many lessons have been taught to us in our history but we don't realize that it takes a combination of accepting that we don't know and believing that we can create and it often mixes the supernatural 
with the scientific, right? The religion with the science or uh, the idea with the functionality. And that, that, that dance is, again, one full of doubt because the nonconformists are the ones that revolutionize things. They revolutionize technology. They revolutionize health. I mean, the first doctor to ever throw out the idea that, hey, uh, maybe we should wash our hands before we operate on people. He was banned from medicine. Right. <laughs> or like penicillin. How did they figure out that fungus was going to create penicillin? You know, it is a wild idea. Um, even last week, we were focusing on the third eye chakra called Ajna, and they were referencing how many people have solved problems through dreams. And so an awesome example is the sewing needle. The inventor had this vision, this dream, where cannibals were poking him with spears that had a hole in the middle of the tip of the spear. And so he ended up inventing the sewing needle and solved an issue they had for 500 years from a dream. And it talked about how oftentimes our consciousness is so busy with the day-to-day you know, doings of our life that we have to tap into an unconsciousness, our cosmic consciousness, to fill in the blanks, to really get the answers that aren't given to us in the rational day-to-day ways of our life. Oh, it's so true. I've been exploring this this thought lately that things unfold without as much effort when you get your unconscious on your side. Mm. And getting that unconscious on your side because we have this conscious mind which we might look at as awareness and then the unconscious or the subconscious as this vast network of connectivity and ideas and inspirations and feelings and emotions and ambitions and dreams and when we try and take conscious control and we override that subconscious mind saying i have to solve a problem we limit ourselves because we take this thing that is aware and we try and use it to solve but in doing so we 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 tighten and restrict that aperture of awareness it's like taking a, a a flashlight and covering up more and more and more of it until it's focused on this little beam and we we don't allow that subconscious mind to make the connections because often those things that solve our problems and our dilemmas they occur from outside of our direct awareness it's like something peripheral something comes in and and bridges a gap and allows us to to actually act on something and that's where you know boredom comes in looking at boredom as this sacred thing that mm-hmm. is allowing your mind to be free rather than saying i have to solve the problem you're saying I allow the problem to be solved. I allow this to unfold. And I think that understanding your dharma, your essence, your purpose, and then bridging that with intention allows you to then consciously create your karma. 100%. And acceptance as well. You know, as a parent, this is something you'll find out soon. Oh, man, do I wish I could be bored. You know, you're always so busy that you forget how nice it was to just sit back and have nothing to do. Whereas when you're growing up, that's the worst thing, right? You're constantly trying to get distracted, constantly trying to have pleasure, entertainment. And this cuts us off from this deep 
cognitive reasoning that manifests itself so creatively, right? Imagine if all the greatest artists and musicians and uh, forward-thinking people decided instead of having these grand visions and ideas that they were just gonna, you know, sit back and play a video game. Not that there's, there's anything wrong with playing a video game, but, you know, it's through this space being held that we can kind of come up with these ideas and inspirations that need to be acted on. Obviously, there's a balance, right? You can't just sit off in la-la land. Once you have an idea or a vision, then you got to put the work into manifesting it. But once again, it's that, you know, it's that sitting back. There are so many times in life that I've had to surrender and where it seemed like the universe stepped in and solved the problem for me. But I couldn't just keep sitting back and be like, the universe has got this. There were times where I also had to step up and work really hard to push through the boundaries and resistance that could have easily stopped me from living the life I'm living and that I'm still working through, right? So it's, once again, this balance, just like your breath, right? Effort and ease, inhale, exhale, inward, outward, where you gotta find that harmony Otherwise, everything's out of balance and you're just struggling to breathe. You're in the fight or flight mode. And that's the power of meditation. That's the power of yoga and a mindfulness. It's telling you calm down, embrace that space. Rather than being bored, why don't you find some serenity until the time comes for action? And understanding that, you know, taking your cues from yourself when you have those days where you're just not making good decisions your mind is full of fog and haze listen listen to that listen to that haze take that as an indication to to rest and rejuvenate and restore because i think that this hustle culture looks at rest as something that needs to be earned mm-hmm. but it's something that's needed there's no earning that goes into rest rest is this foundational need and I know that I fall into this myself. I will hit 4 p.m. and my brain might be tired, but there's some part of me that goes, well, no, it's not 5 p.m. yet. You shouldn't stop working now. You've got to keep going. you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But what i got to do in those circumstances is almost always pump the brakes and bring myself into that sacred boredom, that serenity, this just contentment. Yeah, that kind of makes me think of like, you know, modern culture. We are always taking photos of things that we're not actually paying attention to, right? We're more focused on the device, the photo, what everyone else is going to think than us actually being there. And I feel like it's robbing ourselves of the experience and the contentment. I feel like that's something we've definitely lost in our modern society. We're not allowed to be content because if you're content, somehow you're not getting ahead, you're not living a meaningful life, a valuable life. But what could be better than enjoying the time you have? right? Sitting back and looking at what you've created and taking the time to mindfully think, what's the next step, right? The presence is the most powerful moment, but we're often so distracted by the past or the future that we're just reacting to everything happening in the present and we take a wrong turn. We take a wrong step. That's why I love yoga, the physical yoga class. My favorite class I teach is a mandala flow where we go all the way around the room And it's as challenging for me to teach as it is for you to take because I have to be switched on for every step. If I don't get one pose correct, 
we don't make it around the room. And that's life too, right? Life gives you these lessons, these cycles. And if you don't learn the lesson, you have to repeat it, right? And so you find yourself in the same old place you used to be. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a uh, physical condition. Maybe it's a financial condition. You're like, how did I get back here? You weren't paying attention. You took a wrong turn. And the thing is you have to go back through the cycle and you have to figure out what could I do right this time, which can be difficult. Life isn't always the same, but usually we find it rhymes, right? We find ourselves in the similar place again, and then we can take the right step, change the direction, and create a new cycle. And when we're in a good cycle, it's often when we take it for granted. You're like, yeah, I'm sitting good right now. I'm on the high life. I'm going to sit back, relax. That's when you want to work hardest to make sure that you're keeping the right steps. And when you're struggling, the hardest thing to do is relax. And that's when you need to sit back and observe and kind of think, where have I been going in the wrong direction? And we often do the opposite of what we need to do, right? Oh, it's such a such a good point. Like when you're when you're struggling, relax. When you're feeling good, keep going. Like, yeah. And that's that's how I tend to to work as well as I will sprint when I'm inspired and and rest and recover. But that that style of working, that style of just me, that internal rhythm, that energetic cycle, it doesn't work out for me when I ignore it. Yeah. When I try to operate within these societal parameters, these definitions of how you should be operating, I don't allow myself to operate how I should be operating. And you know when I think we ask ourselves questions without actually asking them, we go, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. If I really wanted to know that, I could really ask that question and I would receive an answer. Yeah, and paying attention. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you think you're on a high when you're on a low and sometimes you're in a low when you're actually getting presented with everything you need to make progress. So life is nuanced. Life isn't black and white. You know, things aren't always clear to us. And that's why we need to sit back. We need to meditate. We need to take some deep breaths and ask the real questions because sometimes we feel a certain way doesn't mean it's reality and sometimes things look a certain way but they don't feel quite right mm-hmm. i always say in my class just because something you know feels good doesn't always mean it's right for you that you should keep pushing yourself right sometimes i have all the energy in the world i want to sprint 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 but i know if i sprint too much the next day i'm going to be depleted i'm going to have nothing else cuz i spent it all today Mm. right so it's also that balance of being mindful of the future and the past you can't just ignore them being fully present but you've also got to be present to enact that information so my dad would always repeat to me um that you reach a point and you're borrowing from tomorrow Mm, so knowing when to pump those brakes and say, all right, whatever I've done, that has been enough yeah. because I decide that that's been enough. No one else is going to tell me to stop. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Burning the candle, he would, he would say. You, know, you burn, <laughs> burn the candle at both ends. I go, okay, dad. But now I I see it. It's like that that wisdom comes back that uh, the lessons of reality, you're right. It 
we'll like keep throwing it at you until you get the get the picture yeah and i i love like gardens and plants and what happens if you overwater the plant it drowns what happens if you neglect the plant it dies mm. right you need a little bit of water at the right time to stimulate the plant to growth it needs just enough sun but if it has too much sun it'll get burned and die if it doesn't have enough sun it will stop growing you know and we're we're humans we're alive just like plants and the same thing we need to find the right chemistry the right balance in the right seasons because we just like natural seasons we all have personal seasons where sometimes you're in your summer sometimes you're in winter sometimes that's all in one week Mm. you know so always checking in on yourself and being like what's going on what's my balance look like today because it's not going to be what it was yesterday it's not going to be what it is tomorrow but if you also got to weigh that up in the grand scheme of things so having this focus on now but this presence of what was what will be that's beautiful and i have one more question before we wrap up what would you say to 18 year old jay and would he recognize you oh he would not recognize me for sure 18 year old jay had these long blonde dreads and uh was skimboarding every single day hiking he had this ultimate freedom but he wasn't satisfied and um i think what i would say is enjoy your time with what you're learning and drop your expectations and just trust that it's going to be okay mm-hmm. you know right now i'm at a place where i'm not necessarily living as nicely as i was living then you know i was fortunate enough to be living by the beach had friends could skimboard surf skate snowboard all in the same day you know i had no responsibilities full of energy and life freedom but i lacked purpose and now i have purpose but i also have a lot of responsibilities limited energy and time and um so i can look back and see that 18 year old jay he was doing epic things you know i look back at that time with a fondness but would i go back no because i see how far i've grown and evolved now so i'd say you know those were different times in my life and where i am now is just as good as it is then but they're not the same because i'm got different scales of comparison i do have one more question ask away jay in 10 years what would he say to you now? Hmm. I do I do try to think about that sometimes. And I think patience has been the answer that I've been getting. You know, sometimes I put pressure on myself. I just turned 30 and I was like, oh, I had all these ideas about being 30, that I'd be surfing every day, that I would be debt free, that I'd be, you know, out uh, on top of life basically and have it all figured out. And I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still learning. And I think I had these expectations that somehow 30-year-old Jay would be old enough to have figured this all out. Now that I'm 30, I'm like, I'm not that old. I'm still pretty young. I'm still figuring this all out. So I think a 40-year-old Jay will still be pretty young. And he's saying to 38-year-old Jay, just like I say to 18-year-old Jay, just enjoy it. You know, this is your youth. This is your vitality. This is where you're learning all the best lessons in life and to just embrace those lessons, both the highs and lows, because they're building your character and they're writing an epic story. 
Yeah, it is an epic story. It really is. And I'm I'm really grateful that you were able to come and express that here. Uh, I know that people are going to connect and resonate. So if those people want to reach out, if they want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Oh, well, you can find me at uh, Jay's Wild Heart on Instagram. Or um, we have a website. I need to update it. It's called uh, wildheartyogatribe.com. And I do have a YouTube channel, uh, Wild Heart Yoga Tribe, where I do post uh, my yoga classes. And I've got the whole chakra series. I love the chakras of yoga because they bring different awarenesses, the mind, body, heart, and soul. I feel like we could all use a little bit more awareness of that. Um, But you could also find me here on this podcast. You're doing amazing things. I feel very honored to be on here. So thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much for your time. Um, And for all of you listening, I will add the links to all of those things in the show notes below. Please go and do yourself a favor. Do something nice for yourself and engage in those classes. It's a gift. Thank you. Love you. Bye.